Hey everyone, welcome to the Worship Artistry Podcast. My name is Jason Houtsma, and with me as always, Mr. Daniel Arnellis. What is up, Daniel? What's happening, Jason? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm a little sad because we're not in the same room. That was really fun uh, to do. I was like, this is so much easier when I can see your face and everything. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think we're doing fine with the internet as well, which is sounding pretty good today. All right. Fingers crossed. Keep it going. Yeah. I have to tell you, the internet was not very good to me this weekend. <laughs> tell me about it. Let's hear what you got. What, what's been going on? <laughs> well, I had a... Yeah, I think I told you a little bit about it. So I got a text on Saturday morning and somebody was like, hey, this... what this." blogger wrote wrote an article ripping worship artistry and I was like what that's kind of weird so I pop over there and basically what this guy did he goes on to just basically take my set planning guide and basically if you've ever read it or we even did a podcast on it it kind of just goes through um, a set list from the perspective of where a listener or where your congregation member is at like emotionally Mm -hmm. so it's not being like, this is how we manipulate emotions. It's more like, hey, you know what? Don't try and do the deepest song first because nobody's really listening at that point. It just kind of builds you through it and then goes like, oh, it feels really awkward to drop from a big song and then like just like drop off to a slightly less song. Like you kind of want to go up. Like it's real basic stuff. If you've ever planned a set list, that's what it is. So he took it and he took each section and then he likened it to a, we'll just say he likened it to a, a marital experience. I don't know if there's kids listening. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. Oh, it's, he basically took my, my exact text and then put, I hate to call it dirty. I'm just trying to figure out good words to use, right? Just kind of put uh, a very, um, very charged titles over the top. <laughs> we'll say that. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, and then proceeded to just talk about how, you know, like all I'm trying to do is manipulate emotions and emotionalism is bad. And, you know, which, which are things that like, like some of his things I'm like, well, yeah, I also agree with some of these things that we shouldn't be manipulating people's emotions. Like that's, that's a clear thing. This was my set list planning guide was not that. And you're just like, wow, like, (laughs) you know, you have all these emotions, right? Because at first you're kind of like, dude, you're totally taking my thing out of context. Taking it and trying to get clicks with it, which is something that if you've ever, if if you've seen any of our content, you know that that's not what we do. We're not a clickbait kind of a place. So anyway, so, you know, I, I kind of sat on it for a while and then, you know, you know, kind of left a comment that just said, hey, you know, it feels like you're taking this out of context. I'm sure it's unintentional. Like, just trying to be kind of open-handed. And I just actually this morning res- saw him respond, and he had, he had responded and basically said, well, I did go and check it out, and I did look, and I don't think I'm taking anything out of context. I'm going to write another post about it. Peace. <laughs> I just don't get Like, I don't talk to people that way. Do you talk to people that way? No, man. It, it, to me, it just, you know, there's there's a difference between living in confidence of, of, of uh, moving forward, and then, and then there's some people that are kind of like they're just seem to be living in fear and that's that's that just seems like the opposite to me i don't it's just being negative about something is is almost like it's like you're looking behind you in in the rearview mirror instead of like hey let's charge ahead and do this whatever god's got for us it's like what can i look for in the past that i can bring up that'll make other people look bad and me look good right just basic 101 grade one like don't do that buddy it's not a good thing <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny because it's and you know I, when i first read it i'm like okay anytime i write things out normally i read it 
And then I'm like, I ask myself the question, does this benefit? Like, is this, is yeah. this going to make anything good by me doing yeah. this? And, or yeah. what am I going to get out of it? And it, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm like, oh, it's just going to be a nothing. So then I delete it. It's the same policy I have about never asking a woman if she's pregnant. You know, I just, I just <laughs> don't do that. There's no win in that. Even if she Absolutely. says, even if she says, yes, I already lost by asking, you know? Exactly. So, <laughs> it's good. I, I like that analogy. You know, when I, when I ask my wife, I'm like, this person's really made me upset on Facebook with something they said politically or they said something. And I go, should I say something? And she's always the voice of reason. She's like, no, you shouldn't say anything. And I'm like, <laughs> why not? I have something to say. And then she's like, because what you're going to do is you're going to say something. And then basically you're going to put yourself in a position to say to to basically pick sides first of all when you might alienate like half of your friends okay because half of your friends might feel like that other guy and then not only that but then the guys that you think you're going to change their minds to think the way you think it's not going to happen <laughs> you're just going <laughs> to fire up all the guys that are that are opposing you and make them feel more ticked off about their point so as if there was a way to like if it was unto goodness or if it was if that kind of a post was unto us growing as a company and maybe being more liturgical or whatever he's trying to get us to do that would make sense that would make there'd be something to it if, if that's what but it seems like those kind of posts are always unto just you know cr crippling or crushing it doesn't ever seem like it's unto growth or unto building the kingdom so my question would be like before i post something is this gonna build the kingdom of god or is this gonna you know destroy the kingdom of god and so when we fight amongst ourselves that just once again, it seems like we, we, you know, we've lost the battle exactly like you said. Like it's basically saying, "Hey, are you pregnant?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of opinions, we do have yes. Keith Getty today, which oh my gosh, is so amazing, incredible. If, yes. If you don't know Keith Getty, he wrote the song "In Christ Alone," or he co-wrote it. Um, him and his wife had written a number of modern hymns. If you if you look up the word modern hymn, Keith Getty's name is going to come up and they, they're like almost inextricably linked. And so, yeah, um, he's like a song. He's like a songwriting unicorn. Oh, you see him. Yeah. You're like, it's a unicorn. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the fact that we've got him on, on the podcast. That's really exciting, man. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And you know, here's the thing, like Keith does have, you'll hear him. He, at one point he says, you know, I'm on my fourth interview today. I've, I've lost all my filters. And I'm like, I love that because I feel like it's an uplifting conversation and it's, and there, there's some strong opinions in there, but it's good. There's nothing wrong with strong opinions. I'm pro mm -hmm. strong opinions about things and they're great opinions. I love what he says. So anyway, um, hopefully this, this, uh, this interview is an uplifting thing and calls you some, calls you to something beautiful. And, uh, and I think you'll get a lot out of it as well. Just one more thing. Do me a favor. Do not, I'm speaking to anyone who's listening right now, please don't search out this article. I mean, if you want to search it out, fine. But don't like comment and start and like jump into the fight. Like, just don't do it. <laughs> I'm just begging you. I think yes. I think we're better than that. I think that there's kind of a natural thing that you get kind of defensive. The thing that I, upset me was like, you don't even know my worship artistry community. Don't don't come at them. Like I became like protective. Mother hen, Jason, Jason, the mother hen. I like that. Come into my wings, <laughs> my unflying wings, and uh, and we'll get going. So anyway, just. You know, please be civil and all that. So anyway, here's Keith Getty. I hope you enjoy the interview. So Keith, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. How are you doing today, Jason? Oh, I am, I am doing well. I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, you're actually one of my favorite songwriters in the worship world. So, well, Thank you very yes. much. 
Um, so I was doing my research on, on, uh, on you a little bit as we were coming up to the podcast. I like to do a little bit of homework. And I actually read a stat that said 100 million people worldwide sing your songs. Now, I am thrilled when my church takes one of my songs and really makes it their own. <laughs> well, the, the world has taken your songs and made them their own. I was Integrity Music said that. I think CCLI said about 50 million. And then <laughs> obviously in Christ Alone's use um, in places like Asia, uh, India, China, Far East Korea, Brazil, um, Europe, and, and also within, within obviously, the, our, because they're hymns, they're, they're, they tend to be sung in traditional churches as well as CCLI churches. So I, I think that's where they got, it was not my number, it was their number. And uh, and uh, that's kind of um, that's kind of shocking to me, but but, uh, but, there, but there you go. <laughs> I'm so pleased when my church do my songs too. Yes, that's, that's, that's the goal. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, you are – your name is firmly attached to the name to the words modern hymn. Right? When right. people talk about modern hymns, they're like Keith Getty, Stuart Townend, or you know Kristen Getty. They're they're creating these things. Um, can you can you define what that is for me? Because I feel like the idea of a hymn, we just think hymn. That's an old song. What is it that defines a modern hymn to you? Um, gosh, well, to me, it was religious values. You know, there were there were three values from the start that were important to us in, in the hymn. One was that they teach the faith. One was that every generation can sing them together, whether in the family home or in the church. And thirdly, we loved, we were attracted to more what you would call classic artistry. So our goal was much more to write hymns that the next generation would sing. And uh, and so that kind of, and so that was really a large part of what propelled us mm-hmm. to try and do this. So did you set out to do that? Were you going, okay, I'm going to write I'm going to write hymns, or is that kind of more your natural style? I mean, your style of music I was reading has gone has gone from uh, all the way I saw like these grand orchestrations, seen the modern right. hymns. I even saw one that said uh, that you scored a McDonald's commercial. <laughs> yeah, I was I, I was young, I needed the money. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so yeah. So I think I, I think your your question is a wonderful question, and there, and, there, and there are two, and there and of course there's a little bit of both. You know, there's the fact that this is the conviction of my life. I'd rather. I mean, we've been offered chances to do country deals, to do movie scores, to do all the things I thought in life I'd want to do. But but you know, to me, there's no higher goal than writing songs for God's church to sing. And uh, so this is my this is the privilege of my life, and we feel very strongly about this how we do. The, the second thing is, though, you're right in that all of us are creative human beings that God has put in certain places to do things a certain way. I grew up an Irish Presbyterian who studied classical music, and uh, and so you know you put all those things in a juicer and and, and press the juicer on, and what comes out is is my music. You hear all those influences. And, uh, and, and, you know, if you're a writer out there, this is an important point. I remember doing a, a workshop once for a group of Berkeley students, and I was so excited. We were doing a concert in Boston, and I was so – I love Boston anyway, and I was so excited because these Berkeley students were all – they knew more about jazz. I mean, they had more harmony in their big toe than I had in my whole body, and I was, I was so excited. But all their sounds, songs sounded like bad worship songs in four chords. <laughs> I was going, why are you guys doing this? This is not – this is not your musical DNA. So, you know, if I would have tried to have written normal worship songs that are cool and, and taken the radio as my cue, my music would never have had the impact that it's had. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. we, so there is a degree to which all of us have to go, God doesn't make mistakes. He, he puts us in these places 
very deliberately, you know, even to the fact that I grew up in a very conservative home where we only listened to church music. So I never got to listen to radio growing up. So my brain reacts emotionally deeply to a melody that I think a large group of people could sing in church. So that, that's where, you know, in the same way as Mutt Lang, the, the record producer, grew, grew up working class South Africa, where all he ever heard was top 20 radio songs. So everything comes out like a two minutes, 54 radio song. <laughs> so, 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 you know, that was my, that was my upbringing. That was my DNA. And, uh, but, but it's also the conviction that what we sing influences every part of our Christian life, that what we sing is something we, we do as a family. And that and the, the songs that we carry with us through life, if I could write two or three songs in my life that people can carry with them through their lives, then the profound in, impact that will have on people is, is worth that. Beautiful. Well, you, uh, you recently wrote a book called Sing, How Worship Transforms Your Life, Family, and Church. And uh, I, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, but it's on the way. Um, and I, I love the, the, the primary question is the why when and how of singing. And I don't want you to give away your entire book, but, uh, but I'd love to hear you, I'd love to hear you speak about this because, sure. you know, I think in church, you know, I spent a good period of my life asking those why questions, you know, why do we, why do we do this? Why do we do it this way? Why is it, why is the band over here? Or why is the, why do we sing songs in this key all the, you know, all the time or in this style and kind of those different things? Why is such a big part? And honestly, when it comes to singing, you know, that's not, it's kind of weird what we do. Like that's not become a normal part of American culture where, you know, in church you go and you sing together, but I don't do that anywhere else in my life. I mean, I like to have music parties and have my friends over and we all play and sing and it's a great time, but that's not a normal thing. I don't feel like I feel like, asking people to sing is almost a foreign concept outside of church. So, uh, so maybe you could first tell me why, why do we sing? Why, what is it about it? Why, why is it important to us? Your questions are wonderful, Jason. And it's, it's a right question. I mean, even, even 50 years ago from at one end of the spectrum, education, right to the other end of the spectrum, entertainment, uh, congregation or group singing, was done. You know, it was seen 50 years ago that a young person to be educated, to have an full odd education and be emotionally developed and to learn artistic and, and, and basic brain intelligence was to learn to sing do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, di, do and to sing in a choir and to sing in a school chapel or school assembly or all of these things were, were part of life and no longer are. And at the other end, people were more inclined to, you know, sing around a piano in a house, you know. And uh, those things are gone but for a number of reasons. Education's changed. And at the other end, three clicks of this button and I can listen to, to Coldplay sing. So why would, I, why would I listen to useless people sing? <laughs> so, and actually, right in the middle of it all is actually is, is, the, is, the, is the collapse of society itself mm-hmm. and relationships and community. And uh, so, so if, if all Christianity is trying to be relevant to the culture and we borrow our ideas from the most pragmatic way to reach people in the culture, then there's an argument to not sing. But there are some much more compelling reasons to sing. Most, most peculiarly is that Christ, who we follow, pointed to the scriptures as our authority. We follow the scriptures not because scriptures say we should. We follow the scriptures because Christ set the example to follow the scriptures. And the second biggest command in scripture is to sing. Second most common command is to sing his praise. 
So it's important. If you, I'm a dad, I don't know if you are, but you know, when you tell your kids something over a hundred times, they, they know it's important. <laughs> they tell them it once it's important. When you tell them it a second time, they all pay attention. Over a hundred times, this is an important thing. Right. Um, more than that, we've been actually being created to sing. It's not part of you know what, where American culture is at at this point in human history, but we've all been created to sing. And uh, God has created us and delights. The Bible says that he, he delights in our praises. I have three daughters, Eliza, Charlotte, and Grace. He actually have four daughters. I was fourth one now, born, born two weeks ago today, Talia, Lennox, Getty. But my oldest three, we take, I take to bed at night. We do a new hymn each month. Mm-hmm. And we just, we don't, I, don't, I don't bore them with teaching them or getting into details or being like a music lesson or a theology lesson. We just sing it every night for the enjoyment of singing it. You know, and they join in. They get, they get better as the month goes on. So we were doing last year, I think it was February, we were doing holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. So my oldest child, who's, a, you know, an alpha child, wants to impress and achieve. She sings, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> and she feels as though she bows at the end. And she says, was it the best thing you've, best performance you've ever heard, Dad? I went, of course, Eliza. Yeah. Well. <laughs> her little sister is rolling her eyes. The middle sister, the maverick middle kind of one. I don't really understand her, but she's just so cuddly. <laughs> She then performs it, kind of not really caring, does this at the end. And <laughs> Your kids sound just like my kids. <laughs> then the youngest one, who wants to be like her two older ones, she, she sings, she's only two years old, she goes, holy, 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 Lord God, oh, mommy. And then she goes, how, how I wonder, no, holy, 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 <laughs> I wonder what you are, up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky, holy, 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 blessed trinity. <laughs> but the point is, as a dad, which, which one do you love the most? Well, you love them all, because we've been created to sing, it's not, we don't need voices that are professional standard to be kind of slightly rhymy about it, it's confessional standard. Mm-hmm. We confess that that's what it is. It's the fact that we are the Lord's, that we were created to sing, and he delights in our singing. He has made us. He has made my wife a great singer and me a bad singer. We came to America to talk about our hymns. I gave these talks, 12 people came. Kristen wanted to sing somewhere, 2,000 people came. So we had to build our events around her tours. And I did my leadership lunches because she was more popular than I was. <laughs> that's the way it goes. And the third thing is when someone becomes a Christian and comes to know the Lord, they want to sing. You know, when, the ch- when your chains come off, whether it's whether it's from addiction, whether it's just a forgiveness, whether it's a child finding his faith, whether it's Paul or Sil- Paul and Silas's chains falling off in the prison in the Acts, what do they do? They sing. Mm-hmm. Look at every American revival in the history of this great country, and what happens when people when revival happens, people sing. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're we're commanded to sing. It's obedience. To to not sing is disobedience. Mm-hmm. We're created to sing regardless of our talent, regardless if you're the, the, the woman who wanted to be a singer who cries every time she sings in worship, or whether you're that kind of cerebral business friend of mine who's got not got very many emotions, who's ruthless, and thinks singing's for girls. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> and thirdly, we sing because, because, because Christ has changed us. Christ has taken us from darkness to light. We weren't, Once we're lost, we're now are free. Our chains have fallen off. Our hearts are free. We rise. We go forth. We follow him. It's what happens when... Christ changes lives. And it's a sign of God's people. We sing because we're happy. We sing because we're free. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. So that's the why. Well, that's that's good enough for me. Um, and then I thought it was interesting that you follow it up with when and how. Because I think a lot of times we don't give a lot of thought to that. You know, one of the, one of the complaints I hear a lot from 
from worship pastors or people in churches, they're like, well, we're playing these big songs, but nobody's singing. And I always kind of turn that into, well, something's wrong with our method if we're playing music like to people and at people rather than with people. Right. right? And so, so how do you answer that to somebody who says, well, you know, I'm, we're, we're doing this thing. We've got the, we've got the lights and we got the great sound system and we spent all this money and we have this beautiful room and we have all these things. And it's like, and then we start playing and you know, it's, it's, it feels like everyone is that ruthless businessman. That's like singing, singing for girls. You know, you see people with their hands folded or kind of, how do you, how do you engage, engage your community or your congregation, whoever you're playing for, how do you make it a we rather than a, a you at them? Right. I, I think your, I think your, your analysis is, is insightful and profound. Um, I think it's also tragic where we are right now in the church. And I think it's just an, I think your question is so important. Um, first of all, I actually think I, I believe in scriptures that singing is a spiritual activity. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if it's a spiritual activity, the first person who's responsible is the senior pastor. Or in our homes, the singing in our homes, the first person who's responsible is the dad. So dads that don't sing is not a good thing. I can give you so many stories of dads who don't sing. 90% certain his son won't sing, 70% certain his kids won't sing, and about 70% certain there's going to be religious break, there's going to be faith breakdown in that family. And so we need to have families that sing. We need to have senior pastors to care. I traveled for 13 years in churches of every background, every ethnicity, every denomination, many different theological backgrounds, and certainly every musical combination and capacity you can imagine. And there is no musical solution. There is no theological solution. There is no denominational, and there is no ethnic solution to congregational singing. The number one thing is a pastor who cares, a pastor who teaches his congregation why they sing, because the lead you're getting from these Christian music companies, an awful lot of them are owned by Wall Street. So ultimately, you know where your treasure is, your heart follows. So those companies, they're not, they're not, they're not incentivized by, they're not incentivized by anything other than, you know, sadly, sadly the dollar and so short-term dollar. And so, you know, we need, pastors need to take the lead and teach their congregations why they sing. And secondly, pastors need to model it. A pastor who's at the back, having a coffee, a pastor who's talking to somebody on his iPhone or not engaged, I can guarantee you that congregation don't sing well. Maybe the first two rows do, but nobody else is. And so it begins with the pastor. Um, secondly, the music director, that also, but that also has an implication for the music guys, because number one, our first job is to respect and honor our pastors, um, not to express ourselves. But secondly, then, I think as musicians, we need to, we need to realize that that the gold in a congregational service is not the music, is not the performance, is not the technology, but is act and is not the spectacular occasion, but actually is that moment by moment, Sunday by Sunday, hearing God's people sing. So the first question we ask on a Monday when we get together in one of those, you know, in our church, or or if you take your guys down to those like cool cool restaurants near Pike's Place in Seattle or wherever you go, do you know what I mean? To discuss our church's music, the, the question we're asking is, how did the congregation sing? Mm-hmm. Not how do we play? Not was there too much dead time? How did the congregation sing? Mm-hmm. Our job is to do that. It's not to express ourselves. It's to help our help our God's people sing in our churches, and so we begin there. 
and we work from there. And we and we and we so we choose songs that they sing well. The number of modern churches I've been to, where you get these, where you get you know three three songs at the start, and the front two rows are all rocking to, and one of the songs is in the radio, and a couple of them the local church wrote or whatever, or just have been cool for a while. And then they do something like Hagrita Art or Holy, Holy, Holy Fourth, and suddenly everyone starts singing. Mm-hmm. I'm going, why did you insult these people by giving them those first 12 minutes of garbage? Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's absolutely yep. disgusting. It is, a, it, is, it is a self-obsessed idolatry that so many of our worship leaders sadly are bathing in. And so, so I, I think we begin from there and we, and we refocus why we sing in the first place. And then we build a culture with that. You know, for a young girl who's singing backing vocals, in front of a big church, that's intoxicating, mm-hmm. unless she realizes her job is to help everyone else sing. For a young drummer who plays too loud, or for a young guitar player who's spending his whole week looking forward to his solo, that's intoxicating. They have to understand their job is to help the congregation sing, and uh, and, and help God's people sing. So, is that a start? That's that's a, that's a good start. That's a good start. Um, so. So I'm curious. So, you know, we're mainly talking about singing, you know, within church. I find that when uh, culturally, you know, when you like we were talking about, like bringing in the people to sing, right, that they that we kind of have to sometimes teach into it because it's not normal elsewhere. Do, Do you ever do you ever bring singing out of church to kind of help develop that culture? Or when because you say you talk about when, like, do you think what when do you sing? Do you sing? Great question. In church, where? Well, well, what, um, what, what we try to explain a little bit in the book, but it, it's kind of common sense, is is that singing, first of all, we, we sing as individuals, first of all. We sing, sing to our Lord who is worthy of all the praise and breath in our bodies. But we sing, first of all, we sing, first of all, as individuals. Then we sing as families. Then we sing as congregations. Then we sing to our communities. So... We think about it in those four sort of concentric circles working outwards. Number one, singing is holy activity. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, talked about the importance of singing. He talks. He said the church will be reformed by the by the reformation of the church will happen by the preaching and the singing of the word. His predecessor, the Jan Hus, he was called a Hussite at the start. was in was in Prague before him. I used to work in Prague. I used to walk past a statue um, every month, and. Uh, Huss was, Huss was murdered for the heresy, on accounts of heresy and blasphemy, heresy, uh, blasphemy and treason, blasphemy against God and treason against the king. And one of the three things that was listed in both was that he dared to get people to sin. So when Martin Luther had the courage to say, no, we've got to get back to authentic Christianity, which was God's people singing, um, he knew he was taking his life in his hands. Um, but he believed that when you go to church, if you bring the word at the center of your church service, the pastor can explain what the Bible means and help us understand it, but you carry it out of church through the songs you sing. It's interesting, isn't it? We don't yep. carry it out of church by the sermon. We don't carry it out of church by the last 10 minutes of the sermon. We don't carry it out of church by the last 45 seconds of the kind of the emotional story when the pastor drops into his kind of soporific sensitive voice. No, we carry it out of church by the songs that we sing. So the songs that we choose are intensely important. Every pastor listening should be intensely involved in the songs that the church sings. Every music guy should be sharing them with his pastor, asking what they want, and and trying to really work hard to serve them at that level. What we sing is profoundly important as individuals. But more than that, it, it, more than that it, builds, 
It's how we build every part of life. It's how we build our family lives. You remember, I remember, I remember meeting Dr. John MacArthur once. And so I'm asking him, asking him, how do you raise children? And I was expecting him to talk about the Bible, about theology, about doctrine, about a program, about a system. And he says, well, he says a lot of it begins with the songs you sing in your home. Couldn't believe that's where he went first. A lot of it is about the songs you sing in your home. You fill your home with songs of the Lord. Your kids grow up with their minds and their imaginations and their memory banks filled with the joy of singing to the Lord mm-hmm. and, and filling, filling those scriptures that way. It goes right back to Deuteronomy, writing these things in our children's hearts. That's why the psalmist says, from the lips of children and infants, you've ordained praise. You've ordained praise and singing. And so we fill our homes with songs. My wife always says Sunday worship is something that's is like a beautiful meal on a Sunday that's prepared during the week. You know, and so it's interesting, even if you look at the history of the church in America, the New England Puritans that brought Christianity from my fine island and the less than fine island called England beside us <laughs> across to America. The first generation of them, a lot of them wouldn't allow men to take communion on a Sunday if they hadn't prayed and sung with their children every day. Hmm. In fact, even the history of even the history of Sunday schools, Sunday schools in America were first called singing schools. because That's where they brought the people to memorize the scriptures by singing them. Then they became called Sunday schools. So what singing and singing in families is an important thing. But again, as you make as you pick the point, it's it's hard start because it's it's not it's not cool mm-hmm. right now. And uh, but then we bring that into the Sunday services and we think let's think let's think theologically God, for a second. Why do we sing? So we, we we sing because we're commanded. We sing because we're created. We sing because the the the, the 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 gospel compels us. But but the symbol of being church. Is why do we not just sit in front of this computer? I mean, I could have, I'm suddenly realizing, I could have done this interview this morning in my house. You know, so why don't we just do church at home on a Sunday? Why don't we just, I just put my slippers on, I make my favorite coffee, um, I don't have to get dressed, I don't have to give a tithe, I can just do church at home. Why do we do church together? Why do we do it? Oh, you're asking me? Why do we do church? Why do we go to church? I think it's because we gather, we, we, we affirm with our community. I know, for me, I see... You know, church at this point is something that people don't do as much. I mean, I think the average family goes to church that that would consider like a regular church churchgoer is one or two times a month. Terrible, and, isn't and it? so and so we're wrestling with that all the time. And like I know for myself, when I'm not gathered with my community, when I'm not gathered with other believers, I feel it. You know, um, I live in a very secular area of the country. There, yep. <laughs> we are by far the minority here. There, you know, you don't run into. You don't, you don't see, uh, you know, hey, love Jesus your, signs anywhere. I'm European. Don't worry. <laughs> right. Exactly. And we're, we're probably trying to follow your lead. Uh, but, <laughs> but I think it, it, gathering, it continues to reaffirm so, what we so believe. What, that's right. And when we sing as a group, in the New Testament, when they use the word, he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you when you meet together, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He's actually talking about, he says sing, they're saying sing to one another. So yeah, I'm singing ultimately because God is worthy of praise. I'm singing because it's spiritual activity, which is good for my soul. I'm singing because I sing with my children. But we're, I'm singing to the fat guy across there, and I'm singing to the crazy man over there, and I'm singing to the struggling person over here because we're family. So when we're singing, we're actually singing to one another. It's a symbol that the picture of heaven is of every tribe, tongue, and nation singing together. The microcosm of that on earth is God's people gathered as a dysfunctional bunch of morons on a Sunday to sing to one another with all, our dysfunction, with, all, with all our dysfunction, with all our stupidity, with all our hypocrisy, with all our blind spots. That's what we do. So when you see, you know, it's funny, you know, we've, we've taught over 400 songs now on our website. And so um, one thing I've noticed 
in those years of teaching is how the language has changed, that there's more of an individuality in the songs. It's a lot more I and me. It's a lot less we and you. Um, do you do you see that happening? Do you see? Do you feel like that comes from the more we just uh, focus on the individuals, we become about well, what do I need? What is my? It, we become much more about ourselves than we do about the community. We see that in songs, and we also see it just kind of in culture in general. I mean, how do you how do you feel about that? Do you see that? Gosh, there's lots to say to that. I, I mean, I think first of all, we have to understand that we're there for each other. The singing in the same way as the microcosm of heaven. It's, it's us accountable to each other. It's us telling each other we're accountable to each other. Um, so if, but yes, you're right. You, you've insightfully said that we live in a narcissistic culture. In fact, narcissism is no longer considered a, a weakness, apparently. In fact, it's, in one dictionary, it's no longer considered a word. So, so, so that should be a huge warning sign to don't just sing, don't do too many modern songs. Mm-hmm. Surely, mm-hmm. surely you must see we need to sing songs that have a little more depth, sing psalms, sing songs of a little more depth to them that are from a different area. There's a humility to that. The, the reason church isn't supposed to be a young people's church or an old people's church, the reason we're all there to lumped in together is because we need each other. I'm 42. I just employed a guy to be my development and marketing guy who's 32. He can't believe how unambitious he, I am. <laughs> then I got a guy in the corridor who's my general manager who's 52. He can't believe how reckless I am. <laughs> You know, then I have a daughter who's eight, who's constantly telling me that, you know, Dad, you say, you can't say, don't say the word stupid. I heard you say the word stupid in front of the football game last night. You know, <laughs> so, you know, we need each other. And then our grandparents are here at the minute, and they're giving us their wisdom. We need each other, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know, and so, you know, and so if you want to choose the modern songs all the time, you know, you're, they're basically written. <laughs> by a bunch of, of of thirty to fifty year old white guys living in mostly Christian, most mostly Christian America, and a couple of a couple of uh, Christian subcultural spots in the UK, and I'm one of them. So you know, I'm, not, I'm criticizing. You know, I mean, I'm saying you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not pretending I'm not one of those people. So I, you know, there's 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 a we we need we need our pastors to really care about what we sing. We need to sing good songs. Um, uh, and we need to realize why we sing, and, and uh, because, as you say, it's, it's even more than that. It's 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 not just it's not just from a human point of view. It's not just the individuality. It's not just the family. It's not just the community. But you know, you often hear worship leaders quote uh, Christ, who says, "You know, where two or three are gathered," um, or quote the New Testament, which says, "Where two or three are gathered." And of course, the Jewish people hear God is in the midst of us. And the Jewish people heard that as, in a different way. They heard that as a legal term. That was a legal term in the court of law when somebody was being tried. Mm-hmm. So when they hear two or three are gathered, they're realizing that this is something we are bearing testimony. So in other words, when we sing on a Sunday in church, we're actually being a witness to the outside world. Mm-hmm. So that might be the little children who've yet to come to faith. And I got to think, am I, excited, am I as excited about singing to the Lord as I am about watching Ireland? Beat England at rugby and St. Patrick's Day, which for an Irish guy is pretty great. Um, you know, I, you know, I've got to think about the people in the church who don't yet believe. The people in the church who maybe were schooled and grew up in church but don't really have real faith, or the person who's struggling with their faith. Am I being a witness to the truths of the Lord? So it, it's profoundly important at every level what we sing. My my suggestion is rather than sing 400 songs, you sing 40 good ones. 
try it for a year. That's my that's my suggestion. Maybe sixty. But go back to just the really great songs that sing well, that are full of scripture, mm-hmm. and that you know your church sing well, and sing those for a year and see how your church is singing the bruise. Beautiful. For what, it's, for what it's worth, just a suggestion. None of my business. You didn't ask me to ask, but no, I, just, I, I love I just, it. Just, but now we're, I'm in my fourth interview, and you know I'm kind of lost all my filters. So I'm just <laughs> that's perfect. That's where I want you, Keith. <laughs> I could I could talk with you for hours. I wish I could just hang with you forever, um, but I have to respect your time because you have a lot of interviews. So um, let me ask you one more question, sure. and we'll wrap it up with this. Um, you know, like you were saying, a lot of worship leaders are, you know, 20 year old kids that, you know, they, they don't like, you clearly have a connection with the larger church, kind of the historic church, everything that's, uh, that kind of has gone, come before us. You know, when you're talking with a, a, you know, a 20 year old kid that goes, Keith, how do I, how do I be a better worship leader? You know, uh, if you could give them one piece of advice, what would you tell them? I think in all things, and I think there's two or three things. Um, you know, when I when I wanted to be a musician, several of my friends at school were becoming pastors. My Bible study group, six guys, six guys in my Bible study group became pastors. And you should be a pastor, Keith. You started the Bible study group. And I'm going. Don't know. I think it'd be a lousy pastor actually. My wife thinks it'd be a lousy pastor. And John Lennox, her uncle, the, the apologist, said. Be the best music, do music, be the best musician you can be, but make sure your faith grows faster than your music. So in all things, our faith should grow fast. As Paul in the New Testament, with all the stresses in, in his life, the Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ. You know, I want to know, I want to know Christ above all our things, you know. And so all of us need to be growing in our faith. That, that's the first thing. The second thing is, when we say we want to serve the church, mean it. If you say you want to serve the church, then you serve. Then you're serving. Then you're serving two things. You're serving. You're serving first of all the leaders of the church. So you honor your pastor. You, you, he is your boss. You, you know. You, 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 there's too many church music, musicians going around talking about self-expression and self-identity. You know, and all that kind of garbage. You know, and all. And most of them are just failed musicians. You know, frankly. You know, we need to honor our pastors. There are our bosses. But secondly, on a Sunday, we need to honor our congregation. We need to help them sing. Stop this kind of wanting to sound like a radio, you know, dreaming, looking at yourself in the mirror, all this kind of stuff. Just concentrate on helping your congregation sing, and it'll be the most beautiful time in your week. You know, it's beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. two Sundays ago, my wife and I, 10 years ago, thought we couldn't, thought we couldn't, we're told we couldn't have kids. Uh, but Easter time, uh, this Easter, on Good Friday, Talia Lennox, our first, fourth daughter, was born. Talia, it means it's Hebrew for lamb, on Good Friday. Oh, Kristen braved getting out on Easter Sunday just so that we could celebrate. <laughs> it was a beautiful, emotional day. It was just extraordinary. This thing about resurrection, about life from death, about light from darkness. Do you know what I mean? It was just an extraordinary day. The next Sunday, this Sunday passed. It wasn't so easy because our daughters were so excited the previous Sunday with their new daughter, little new sister, to show everybody. Now they're realizing she's not going away. And <laughs> So Gracie wouldn't go into children's church, so she sat with her arm around my neck. She was like, she kept saying amen out loud during the prayers to to try and and entice the preacher to stop stop praying. It was a nightmare. But you know what? It was beautiful because that's our people. That's that's God's people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the most gorgeous thing. I, I can't think as a musician. 
my, my musical hero is one of the world's best film composers. The privilege of getting, he lives in the West Coast like yourself, and the privilege of getting to know him a number of years ago. And he always says it's about helping enhance the meaning of the movie and honoring my director. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And for all, I mean, for all his healthy and health, wealth, and, and and success in his life, that's all he does. You know, and so helping serve our pastors, helping our congregation sing with the music. I can't think of a greater privilege in this life than to do that. So, so you know, serving them, serving our leaders, doing that, and uh, helping our congregation sing. I'd give up. I'd give up all my small ambitions in life to get to do that. Mm-hmm. That's that is beautiful. Keith, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to uh, to bring your wisdom and uh, and your thoughts. I think I think a lot of the things that are on your heart are things that need to be said to the church and said to worship leaders and Christians and parents and everything else. And so, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. Have a good day, man. Those are incredible questions to ask about worship. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad people are asking. I'm glad people are talking about that. Well, yeah, I think the question why is the most important question we ask. Because if we can answer that question all the time, like it's easy to get caught in rhythms and, and not uh, really, um, you know, not not really think about what we're doing. And you can kind of get down a road pretty far and then realize, wait a minute, mm-hmm. the purpose of this was, was this, and now we're not even doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it's awesome. The questions that Keith's asking and the things that he's speaking into the church, it's beautiful. Amazing. Well, Legend. Dan, well, Daniel, we are we are running a little bit late today, so we're not going to have some member mail. We're just going to... Oh. I know. It's two weeks in a row now. We kind of had an involuntary member mail right at the beginning. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> we could actually use a few more member mail questions. It's been a while since we've called out for that, um, but we'd love to, to speak into it. Preferably don't post them in a public blog. And, and 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 just say things at us. We'd love it if you would actually just email us. You can email support at worshipartistry.com. You can message us on our Facebook page. You can uh, do a search on our green room page and just search for member mail and speak into. Um, we're happy to speak into these things. Um, also, as always, it is a huge help to us if you would give us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, it's just, it helps get the word out. The more we have, the more people hear about us. And um, we take some of those comments to heart as well. So if, you, if you're like, hey, I would love it if they would do this, throw that in the review. We'll, we'll, but still give us the five stars thing. That would be great. And uh, anyway, there's a great way for you to support Worship Artistry. Um, you can also go over to Worship Artistry and sign up for a free account and give it a try. And, uh, and get a sense of everything that there is to offer besides this podcast. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. See ya.